Well, when you hear the marching bands, you think of one thing. You salivate like Pavlov's dogs. You hear that and you think football. Well, maybe you've been tuned in to watch the Battle of Ohio in the National Football League. Cleveland ahead of Cincinnati, 7-3. Chiefs play on Sunday. But this is Rush to Field. I'm Jay Binkley with producer Julio Sanchez. So good to see Julio back. I told him before the show, seems a little bit normal. We're in here talking college football, and it feels so good. This year, we'll do what we did last year. Let's go around the horn, the K-State, KU, and Missouri for some in-depth look at the local schools, the Big 12 and the SEC, and what happens nationally of games of interest. Well, we haven't seen many games of interest so far. So Central Arkansas and FCS play to start things off. Last week, we got a little bit of a taste of Kansas State and Kansas football, and we've seen a lot of games canceled or postponed as well. 12 to 13 games have been postponed or rescheduled. At this point, Tulsa and Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State gets going this weekend instead of last weekend, even though the Big 12 starts in earnest next weekend. Kansas State versus Oklahoma, by the way. So you got to be looking forward to that game next weekend if you're a Kansas State fan. See if they can erase the memory of of the uh, of the uh, Arkansas State game last week, who they opened up to. K-State uh, at Oklahoma, 11 a.m. on Fox next week. Kansas at Baylor. They open up on the road at Baylor 6.30 next Saturday, but we've got a couple games that have been played in the Big 12, including a very disappointing game, uh, 35-31 to 31 loss by Kansas State. Actually had a 21-7 to 7 lead in this game before Arkansas State, who, by the way, postponed their game this week because of COVID reasons. They had nine starters out of that game and out 20 against Kansas State when they went on the road and one, it's a good football team to start off with. And I know you think you say, well, oh, it's Arkansas State, not Arkansas. Not so fast. They've been a coaching hotbed of coaches jumping on and going to big-time Division One programs. But they've won nine straight games, or nine straight bowl games, but they haven't won a Power 5 game since back in 2007. But they get the win against Kansas State. We'll talk to John Kurtz, as we did last year. He's our K-State insider, faithful to our Colors podcast on 610sports.com. We'll go in-depth with Kansas State. Then at 8.30, we'll talk to Gary Pinkle, the all-time winner at Toledo and Missouri, as Gary Pinkle joins me each and every week for Rush to Field, talking Missouri, coaching, and everything else with the Missouri Tigers. Then after that, Alex Gold from uh, Cody and Gold, 10 to 2 weekdays, uh, and also the Wave in the Week podcast, all things Kansas Athletics, available at 610 Sports. Dot com under the podcast page. Alex does a great job with Kansas football, Kansas basketball, and you name it. We'll talk to Alex Gould each and every week. So we have the three covered, and then we'll go through and, and look at some games and Heisman list and top five games, which I'll end the show with. And let me tell you, this weekend, it is tough finding the top five games of the weekend. But college football, before I dive into Kansas State, it's interesting. The Big Ten is back. And not only that, the Big Ten is when when the Big Ten comes back, it's going to be interesting. That means 91 of the 130 FBS teams will be playing. That's roughly 70% of college football. And the Mountain West has been talking about coming back. The Pac-12 has been making overtures to the uh, local uh, health officials in the different uh, places the the Pac-12 teams are. I know they got permission today from the governor of California and Oregon uh, to begin practice. Obviously, they need a few weeks. Could be... Halloween at the earliest before they start, but they need to be done before December 19th. That's when the Big Ten is going to be done because guess what? The final voting for the college football playoff 
is December 20th this year. It's not around the 7th or 8th like it usually is because all these games have been pushed back a little bit. So get your season done before December 19th, and you can get into college football playoffs if you're the Big Ten. And all these teams were were ranked early on, six of them in the Big Ten. Then they were taken out of the rankings because they weren't playing. Now they're going to have to insert them back into the rankings, which really causes a lot of confusion. And I think the college football playoff committee will have a lot of choices because you're not getting the great primetime non-conference matchups. Oregon was supposed to play Ohio State in the non-conference. That was going to be a great game, but you're not seeing that. You're seeing teams play like Arkansas State and Coastal Carolina like Kansas. It is basically all conference schedules. Picking the best four teams is going to be difficult this year. This is why I've been advocating. If you're going to do this in your college football and you're not allowing you know limited fans, not that many fans, you're losing money. And we've seen athletic programs cancel or forever, like swimming and diving and gymnastics and rowing and a lot of other sports because college football, let's be honest here, it funds everything as it is. Expand the playoffs, go from four to eight or eight to 16, whatever it is, let's do a round robin. Not only that, you get more money with television revenues coming through, and it is so difficult to pick the best four teams, especially in a year like this when teams are playing so late. The SEC, I think, did things right. They're waiting until the 26th to start their season. There's been no games so far in the SEC. They're kind of letting everybody else kind of figure out what they're doing right or wrong. And they're watching. They're watching what the NFL is doing. They've been great on COVID so far. And so college teams are, are, are watching it. But again, COVID is hitting pretty hard. Memphis had to cancel a game. They played Arkansas State the first game. Arkansas State placed Kansas State the second game. Now Arkansas State has to postpone their game this weekend against Central Arkansas. But K-State loses 35-31 to to Arkansas State. Disappointing game. And if you listen to uh, Coach Kleiman uh, before, or hear his, uh, the coaches show on before it, but wasn't good for Kansas State. Started off good, though, as uh, Kansas State got an early 7 in lead with Skylar Thompson and Phillip Brooks, both local products. Thompson fakes to the back, wants to throw, fires for the end zone, has his man, and Brooks has it for a score. Kansas State is on the board. It's 6-0 on the throw to Phillip Brooks. Deuce Vaughn is a new name, a running back, Julio. That's 5'5", but he's got that juice. Tris Paylor has the all-juice team. This dude, Deuce Vaughn, has the juice and has Kansas State fans pretty excited. Again, 5'5", but hey, size doesn't matter. Look at Clyde Edwards-Larry's 5'7". Thompson barks out the signals, gets the snap, hands it off to Deuce. He's to the goal line, reaches. Did he get there? Yes, yes. Touchdown, Cats. But the big story was Jonathan Adams, big 6'3", 225-pound wide receiver from Arkansas State, was really showing out in this game. Kansas State could not cover him, and they had their corners playing this game. COVID really didn't affect the Kansas State corners. Again, new defensive coordinator this year, Scotty Hazelton, gone to Michigan State. But stopping Jonathan Adams, a lot of people were getting at me on Twitter. Hey, this is Jonathan Adams. Where's he looking at? I mean, we're talking 20, 30, 40 receivers ahead of him in the draft, even though he's on the Bolitnikoff Award watch list this year. Again, it's these games to showcase your talent. There he is, Gus Johnson, Joe Clatt, 11 a.m. on Fox. Showcase what Jonathan Adams could do. And let me say this, he helped his draft stock. Gus Johnson on Fox, and he was amazing. 
That was the final score, 35-31, to 31, as Arkansas State wins. One final chance for K-State. Skyler Thompson throws deep over the middle. It's incomplete, and the Red Wolves win. A-State has come into Manhattan, Kansas, and knocked off the Wildcats of Kansas State. Our final score, Arkansas State 35, Kansas State 31. Much more about that game coming up with John Kurtz right after the break as we dive in more to that Kansas State game and look ahead to Oklahoma for Kansas. And I know you're a Kansas guy, Julio. During the offseason, Coastal Carolina was on the schedule again, right? It's revenge. Coastal Carolina got their first ever FBS power win against Kansas last year, 12-7 in Lawrence. Puka Williams, outstanding running back. For Kansas had this to say in the offseason. This is off the strength we lost them. 100% we, we focus on coming up with a victory this time. We rescheduled them for a reason. Scheduled them for a reason. Coastal Carolina was up 28 to nothing at one point. It was bad for Kansas. Thomas McVitie, their starting quarterback. Matter of fact, by the Jumbotron there at Kansas, they had both starting quarterbacks up there, Kendrick and McVitie. Not telling anybody because it's some great secret. They spelled McVitie's name wrong back. On the, on the, so I, I knew they were doomed when they spelled the quarterback's name wrong uh, when you've had all this time to prepare. But they did it. But Coastal Carolina, man, I give them credit. Going into Lawrence and winning again for the second straight year, it, this game was supposed to be played in Conway, South Carolina, but because of COVID kind of screwing everything up, they agreed to come to Lawrence and play. They have two FBS wins. Power five, not FBS. It was a power five. They're both against Kansas. Guess what? They have as many going back uh, five years, as many wins in the Big 12 as the University of Kansas. Well, Kansas wanted Coastal Carolina, and unfortunately for them, they did get that. Oklahoma ends up rolling in their first game where Missouri State, Texas looked good. Ellinger over 400 yards passing and five touchdowns. But the Big 12 as a whole wasn't good. Mentioned Coastal Carolina beats Kansas from the Sun Belt. That's a Big 12 matchup. Arkansas State, Sun Belt, beats Kansas State. That's 0-2. And then you had the Raging Cajuns of Louisiana playing Iowa State. What happened? And the handoff will happen to midfield, and that will do it. It had never happened before, and there were some people who wondered if it would ever happen. But it happened today in Ames, Iowa, Louisiana, on the road, takes a top 25 team to the woodshed. Your final score, Cajuns 31 and Iowa State 14. Bad look for the Big 12. They did take them to the woodshed. Louisiana actually ranked this week, although they have a few guys out for this uh, this next week's game because of COVID. But Brock Purdy and Iowa State, Charlie Kohler, probably the best tight end in the country, in my opinion, did not play in this game for Iowa State. But Louisiana and the Raging Cajuns go in the Ames. And win. So Sun Belt 3, Big 12 0 in opening weeks. Not good, not good at all when it came to the Big 12 this past week. And really, in earnest, they start on the 26th. A few games sprinkled in with Oklahoma State playing this weekend because COVID had to move it. But 26 is college football. That's when ACC is going this weekend. It's going to be interesting there. Don't forget Notre Dame is playing in the ACC this year. But the 26th is when you see K State, KU, and Missouri in action of course it's right before that big big matchup on monday night between the chiefs and the ravens this is rush the field coming up next we'll talk to john kurtz 
about those Kansas State Wildcats. You're listening to Rush the Field with Jay Binkley, 610 Sports Radio. Wildcats lose game one to Arkansas State 35 to 31. Joining us now, John Kurtz from K Man in Manhattan, JL Kurtz on Twitter, and of course, host of Faithful to Our Colors podcast. Everything Kansas State available, 610sports.com. John, good evening. Hey, Jay. What's up, man? Great to be back with you. You know what? It's fun having college football back. There seems to be this sense of normalcy, able to flip the TV on and get the Kansas State Wildcats, although very unpredictable game. Now, Arkansas State did have a game earlier against Memphis. They come in uh, without uh, eight starters in that game, but a, a game that Kansas State led comfortably. You know, they scored the first points, were up 21-7, to and then here comes Arkansas State, which, by the way, is a coaching ground uh, for coaches to hop, but a team that's made nine straight bowl games, not exactly an easy game, but... Uh, were you surprised maybe the way Kansas State started off and then the way Arkansas State came pounding back? Yes and no. I thought K-State would win the game, but I, I was warning uh, fans around here leading up to the game that this is going to be a tough test. I mean, there's just so much that's unpredictable about college football already anyway. And you throw on top of that, I don't want to make excuses, but K-State is in the second year of a new coach and a new program. And, I would tell you it's not a good year to be breaking in an entirely new offensive line, which is what K-State is doing in essence and missing spring practice, having guys out on the offensive line and in the receiving core leading up to the game because of COVID. Uh, I think you really saw some of those warts uh, play themselves out on the field. And you combine that with the fact that Arkansas State is a good program. You mentioned it. And Blake Anderson's a really good coach. Uh, that's a team that's been to nine straight bowl games and had nine straight winning seasons. So they are capable enough, certainly. They won the Sun Belt a handful of times in that run also. It was a game team, a capable team that you were playing, certainly capable of winning the game. And K-State breaking in a number of new players on the offensive side of the ball, plus COVID and all the havoc that that can wreak and everything. You did have the equation there for an upset, and unfortunately it wound up fighting K-State. Interesting game. We see Arkansas State that was going to have a game this weekend postponed. Did that have any effects on Kansas State whatsoever? You know, not as of right now. Um, Obviously, all of that is subject to change and can change rather quickly. And if you're a K-State fan and you look at it and say, okay, well, two weeks ago, Memphis and Arkansas State played a football game. Since then, Memphis has had to cancel a game, and now Arkansas State has had to cancel a game. It doesn't make you feel great, but as of right now, I am not aware of anything major uh, coming through K-State's program. And, and, hey, I mean, the good news is if, if something does happen, it should be caught pretty quickly because they're, they're getting tested three times a week. In fact, they'll have, they'll have another test tomorrow. So you know, maybe we start to hear something about that. But so far, it seems like so good on that front. Kansas State will start the uh, Big 12 season opener in two weeks against Oklahoma going just straight in. Uh, to the Big 12 uh, Conference. There was a couple of uh, interesting new names uh, for Kansas State, John. Uh, Deuce Vaughn is a guy that I think a lot of people are going to start to be familiar with. Short demeanor, 5'5", around 160, 170 pounds. But the freshman did look good and had that, uh, as Trust Paler likes to call, that juice in that game as he went for 47 yards and a touchdown on the ground. I think that's a great way to phrase it. 
uh, he was definitely the old juice guy out of that game and surprised even me. Uh, we had heard about Deuce Vaughn in, in fall camp, um, being somebody that was impressive, and he showed up on the first depth chart, which was a surprise because he was ahead of Jacardier Wright, who was a freshman running back from last year that, that got a decent amount of playing time, and he expected him to be further up the pecking order, but Deuce Vaughn was there. You know, I thought, hey, here's a guy that they'll give a couple of carries to, much like they did Jacardier Wright and Joe Irvin, two freshmen last year, who they used in spot duty in a couple of games when they just needed somebody else to take, you know, four or five carries in the game. I was not expecting what we saw out of Deuce Vaughn on Saturday where he took the ball and just looked like he was on another level and everybody else from a playmaking standpoint. And it's really exciting. In hindsight, it really shouldn't have been as surprising to everybody because he put up gaudy, gaudy numbers in high school football in Texas. Had over 5,000 career rushing yards, like 50 some odd touchdowns, and he was playing right in the shadow of the University of Texas in, in Austin. He was in Round Rock, Texas. So everybody around Austin knew about him. The problem is the guy's five foot five, five foot six. He's just so small uh, that he was passed over by some of the more major programs there. But you throw on top of that the fact that his dad is a college coach. His dad actually coached at Texas for a little while, and he had a chance to, to grow up around there. Um, and his dad is now an NFL scout. So anyway, his dad basically has been able to groom him be a very mature freshman and that was one thing that struck me talking to him after the game he's a guy that was in the playbook and looking at the install from the 2019 camp before he got to k-state to make sure he was up to speed this kid's mature beyond his years as a, as a freshman and somebody that put up crazy numbers in high school and has a lot of confidence so i think he's going to be a stud moving forward for k-state and certainly the biggest bright spot to come out of the game yeah, he's fun to watch We're talking to john kurtz came in manhattan also faithful to our colors podcast 610sports.com now on the receiving end Sebastian Taylor, that really didn't have a lot of catches, what, 10 catches last year. Big frame, though, 6'4", 225, 230. Malik Knowles, just the one catch. He's over 6'2", so big targets. And then you add in the transfer from Northern Iowa, Briley Moore, that has familiar with Skylar Thompson, who ended up with six catches in that game, and I think the Kansas State fans will get to know the tight end position quite well. Yeah, I, I love Briley Moore and his potential. I'm very high on him heading into this year. He's somebody that he played at Northern Iowa from the Kansas City area, was overlooked um, by FBS programs and Power 5 programs coming out of high school. was a major chip on his shoulder because of it. Um, and, and he was somebody that, well, he was actually in school at Northern Iowa at one point with the Missouri Valley uh, Conference first team all tied in. It's a great football conference. That is North Dakota State. That's the best FCS football conference. So he has the credentials to back it up. He's also somebody that's been friends with Skylar Thompson for a long time because they were both kind of out of the KC metro area. So they have a connection already, and you can see that in the game. They went to him on a key uh, fourth down conversion in addition to the touchdown pass that he caught. So I'm excited about what that will do for the offense. K-State really desperately needed somebody who could be a pass-catching tight end. That's something K-State really has not had in in maybe 10 years uh, here at K-State. And when you combine that with the way Sebastian Taylor stepped up, you mentioned it, he didn't do a whole lot last year. He was running wide open, it seemed like, the entire game on Saturday and probably could have had 200 yards receiving as Skylar Thompson put a couple other passes on the money for some long touchdowns. Malik Knowles has all the potential in the world. They played without Josh Youngblood in that game, who I think is going to be a major factor at receiver and was a special teams player of the year in the league last year. And Whitekin Gill, who was the best in terms of yards per catch and one of K-State's leading receivers last year, also did not play. I think the receiving core and pass-catching options can make this offense a lot more explosive. I don't think there's any doubt about that. The real question is going to be, 
the offensive line hold up long enough for Skylar Thompson to be able to get them the ball. And on the flip side, John, a lot of people talking about Jonathan Adams, the big physical wide receiver from Arkansas State, the guy that a lot of people are asking me about for the NFL draft and going forward. And I was like, well, you know, a lot of publications have him 30th or 40th, and he is uh, ranked in the, as far as receivers are concerned, but he is on the Blitnikoff uh, Award watch list. But Kansas State, no answer for uh, Jonathan Adams, who really took advantage of his opportunity. Yeah, well, I'm not going to forget his name anytime soon. I mean, he made the most of that opportunity in Manhattan with everybody watching uh, on Big Noon game on Fox and Gus Johnson there, Joel Klatt. The fact that that game got moved up to the 11 a.m. primetime slot really helped him out and probably helped his draft stock out, frankly, because everybody was able to see it. But he was a beast. I think when you come at it from the, the K-State standpoint here, frustrating thing and the disturbing thing is the word out of camp was that the defense was ahead of the offense and also seemed like the secondary was perhaps the strength of the defense. They did not look very good. Now, injuries are a part of that. Wayne Jones went out in the game. Thankfully, it doesn't sound like it's anything terribly serious, just a concussion uh, for him. But Jerron McPherson, your other starting safety, he went out very early in the game. They were without Ross Elder, who should have been the backup at one of those safety spots. So all of a sudden, they're playing a former Junction City High School quarterback in Ryan Hennington at safety. He was one of the guys that was getting burned a handful of times there by Adams. So they had some personnel issues, long story short, but at corner, they were fully stocked, and you felt pretty good about what they had at corner coming into this year, and those guys just could not hang with, with Jonathan Adams. So to me, the, actually the biggest concern coming out of the game, say what you will about the offensive line, and they couldn't run the ball very well, but it's the defense uh, because you're about to go take on the Oklahoma Sooners and Norman. We know about what the Big 12 typically is like with all the offenses that you're going to face. Uh, that, to me, is where the real concern lies. I'm not sure personnel-wise they have a whole lot of options right now with that Oklahoma game <laughs> Excuse me, looming pretty quick here. John, great to talk to you. Great to have college football back. John Kurtz, host of the, the game on K-Man 4-6, Monday through Friday, and at Powercat Game Day at J.L. Kurtz on Twitter. John, always uh, good to catch up with you talking Kansas State. Yeah, it's been great, Jay. We'll do it again soon. Kansas State off this weekend. Oklahoma, they open the season with on the 26th. We'll take a look at the University of Missouri, who's off this weekend. They start next week against the University of Alabama. We talked to Gary Pinkle, Coach Pinkle of Hall of Famer. Maybe he's got a vote on the Hall of Fame, but he's been nominated for it. We talked to Coach next. You're listening to Rush the Field with Jay Binkley, 610 Sports Radio. Welcome back to Rush the Field. Even though Missouri doesn't play this week, they do open against Alabama here in two weeks. But so many things going on in the world of coach, uh, college football. Good to have Coach Gary Pinkle back, who was nominated for the College Football Hall of Fame, the all-time winner at Toledo in Missouri. And, of course, a fantastic book that he has out that I recommend for everybody, The 100-Yard Journey, Life and Coaching and Battling for the Win. You can get it at various places, including Amazon and Barnes & Noble. Dave Matter wrote it with him with the forward, from Missouri's next opponent, Nick Saban at Alabama. Coach, good afternoon. Good afternoon. How you doing? Hey, we're doing good, Coach. And I tell you, man, that's uh, interesting talking to you. Last time I talked to you, we talked about the College Football Hall of Fame. And, of course, last year we talked about the different games. But I'll be honest with you, college football in a much different state now uh, with COVID that's kind of thrown a loop in all our lives, I think. But uh, – Certainly college football as well, and I know you don't uh, coach the team at Mizzou, but I did know you went and spoke to them recently. But 
a lot of challenges for Coach Drinkwitz in the in the first year. Oh yeah, it really is, and every every coach is challenged this year. Uh, I was with Mike Alden, our athletic director, who hired me years ago. A few weeks ago, we both looked at each other, having coffee, looked at each other, and said, "I'm glad." I, he said, "I'm glad I'm not an AD right now. I said, I'm glad I'm not a football coach right now, because it's just it's just uh, just a lot of a lot of adjustments. I mean, constant adjustments and change." I think you kind of tell your players that from the very beginning that there's a lot of things are going to happen. We're going to have to adjust things, you know, based on how tests get back and so on and so forth, and move personnel around, and you're going to have to know more positions, and it can ch- it can change, you know, from the SEC or or whoever the your um, uh, who guides you know the direction of of your team. It can change, you know, overnight, and and so just have to adapt and adjust. And I think there's one thing we've learned this year that uh, you can do that. And I'm really glad the SEC stood up and said, let's give these guys a chance to play as well as the ACC and the Big 12. Yeah, that, that, it's nice, Coach. And, and the thing about it is, is you talk about Mike Olden there. You know, I've been amazed because I know these a lot of these football schedules are made years in advance. And, you know, I've been impressed with these, these schools kind of putting these schedules together on the fly, including a few FCS teams that are just trying to get ball games. I know Arkansas State that played K-State last week had to cancel the game this week, but they always say next man up in college football coach or any football for that matter, but with COVID, it truly is next man up or the next man up or the next man up beyond them. Yeah, there's just so many things you don't have control over. And, you know, we all you know, think we control anything we do in our life, but this is kind of proving that, you know, uh, there's some things uh, that are remarkably more difficult, and, and this is. And, uh, you know, it's just every school's got, you know, getting tested and doing all the right things to take care of their kids. Um, and, uh, you know, hopefully, uh, you know, we'll be able to get a lot of games. And I found, I just read a few minutes ago, North Carolina's canceling their game this week uh, because of too many COVID tests. So uh, I don't know when those things start happening. I'm not sure how you make it up or don't make it up and, or, or what have you, but. Uh, it's a lot of interesting stuff. It really is. And, you know, props to the SEC for kind of, you know, waiting back and setting the schedule and said, all right, we'll let everybody else start, but we're going to get our start date um, next weekend. I thought that was really important. And, Coach, did you happen to notice uh, Andy Reid's face shield? These coaches have to wear masks now. Did you notice that uh, plastic thing he had on that kept fogging up? I was just wondering how you would have reacted to that. Well, I was just overwhelmed with his, with his uh, focus. Yeah, because he just stayed there. He just kept, you know, doing it over and over again. They're going to have to put in, you know, you know, your windshield and you turn on the air. Say so windshield gets clear of all the moisture and everything. They're going to have to, you know, automate that thing a little bit there. And and uh, but it's uh, it was it was, you know, if you don't wear it, you get you know you get screamed at by everybody. And you know everybody's trying to be cautious and do the right thing. But uh, um, he's a great coach, and you know, I'm so happy for him. It's nice to see uh, Chiefs get out uh, to a good start, also. It was almost like coaching blindfolded. And I was thinking that scuba gear, because they have that <laughs> stuff with the scuba mask, and evidently someplace in New Hampshire. So every, every mask company, I think, uh, reached out to Andy Reid, trying to help him out with that mask situation. But the funny thing is, Coach, with unlike college football with pro football, we all know that you know putting the play sheet up by the mouth so you can't read the lips, I mean, that's kind of a, a thing that all coaches do now. When they're, but sometimes when they're wearing a mask, they don't have to put that play sheet up there anymore, do they? Well, what happens too? The the mask in itself, you know, it's just it's warm. It's hard for me to wear. I mean, I wear them. But, mm-hmm. you know, I'm on my feet and I'm around people. I wear them. It's just kind of how I, sure. I, I do this. It's pretty simple. And um, but he's but that 
that gets that gets really warm on me. I mean, really, and you know the intensity, what they're doing on the sidelines and everything else. So uh, you're right; they don't have to, you know, have to, you know, put a a, a, a book in front of their face or in front of their mouth when they when they send the play out. I don't know who ever gets those things or not, but it, you know, it seems to be undercover in the whole NFL when they do. Um, but it's uh, it, it's kind of funny, and you know, he'll uh, he'll probably you know one up it a little bit and try to make it a little better for this week. I think maybe some coaches, even without COVID, will start using it just so it covers up their mouth, just for uh, you know, <laughs> just for secrecy purposes. And coach, uh, yeah, the, the Big Ten announced that they're finally going to play. You know, they weren't. Now they are. But the way it works is, and I know I talked to you on the phone about it, you know, what's it going to do to the college football playoff? It looks like if everything goes intact, which they're going to have to hurry to get their schedule done, they would have their championship game on December 19th, which would let them into the college football playoffs. Now, of course, the AP rankings came out. The Big Ten was in them earlier. Then they're out of them. I suppose they'll start back in them. But it looks like the Big Ten, with their plan, will be able to be in the college football playoffs the Pac-12, we don't know yet. They they have to go through the different schools and areas, and I guess the governor of California, Oregon, gave the approval to go ahead and play football. But I, I, I mean, I know that we do the college football playoff now for four teams, but without these teams playing in non-con, you know, there's a great one this year between Oregon and Wisconsin, or, uh, Ohio State that was supposed to be played. And man, I, I know the college football playoff committee has a tough task on their hands, no question about it, but. Not seeing these teams play these power non-conference games makes this year even more unpredictable. Yeah, it's just really hard to predict who's better than who, and and you have less less like you said opportunities to see some of the competition. That's problematic, and you know you know you and I mentioned too. You mentioned to me that the possibility was they really even adjust it later on, maybe invite more you know teams into a little small round robin thing or something. You know, possibly they could do that. You know, we're not sure what's going to happen, but uh, um, you know, time will tell. Uh, but it's going to be very difficult. I think it's much more difficult in this type of schedule to pick out you know, who the best teams are. I was just trying to think of a way for maybe some of these schools to recoup some of that money, and, and that would be one of the ways. And then I don't know about bowl games. You know, I mean, if they don't have fans in, I mean, what's the purpose of having the bowl games? I mean, I know that the bowl games are a big reward. For the college football players to go and coaches get that extra practice time, but you know I don't think anybody's really thought of that angle. Well, I think the, the bowl games also, you know, going into you know cities and communities around the nation, that you know that's really big for uh, you know financially for those towns, you know, mm-hmm. bringing you know hundreds of thousands of people in from you know to to watch games and and to you know to enjoy the week and so on and so forth, the hotels, restaurants, etc. And, uh, you know, those are all giant question marks. Now, you know what, in, in, you know, 60 days, we might have some, you know, maybe hopefully we'll have some good answers for those things. Maybe we'll be, be able to, to adjust a little bit more and be able to open up a little bit more. Maybe, you know, so I think, I think most of them are probably just holding on right now to kind of see what unfolds, you know, as, uh, you know, the next couple of months go. Sure. Hey, Coach, we've talked about it before, but, hey, at least this year Notre Dame's in a conference. Yeah, how about that? <laughs> oh my gosh, don't get me started about Notre Dame. But at least this year, you know, you, know, you know how I am about that. I know you are. If I one letting one team be outside and, and just kind of do their own thing, it just it's just hard for me to understand that. Maybe they might stay in this year. Yeah, I mean, maybe well, with this, there might maybe with this they might the NCAA might say, listen, you know, you're in it now. 
why go out? Let's roll, you know, and I, I think that would be the right thing to do. But uh, for some reason, Notre Dame, you know, gets gets a free ride. So, uh, anyway, we'll, uh, time will tell. I don't know how much football you've watched, Coach, so far. I've been kind of uh, really enjoying the games. And it's it, it's it's interesting because, you know, your schools like Arkansas State and these others, you know, it's a chance to be on 11 o'clock on Fox, you know, and they played Kansas State and they made the best of it. You know, that in uh, guys, you know, starting to shine. I think that a lot of these teams are in the Sun Belt goes 3 and 0 against the Big 12. And I know you, you know, you were in the SEC and everything, but I do think it's interesting that guys are taking advantage of their opportunities. Yeah, it's a big upset. I mean, that, that that's huge. That's not, you know, obviously, if you're a Big 12 uh, member or uh, what have you or a fan, I mean, that, you got hit in the mouth a few times. Um, but it, it, you're right. Certainly, those kind of things open up big, big opportunities. Um, you know, and I remember like my last year at, uh, was there 10 years at Toledo? My last year we put, went and played at Penn state and, and I, a year before I tried two years before I tried to get my AD and the president of the university. So I don't want to play at Penn state. What do, what do we have them on the schedule for us, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, we go win the game. So, you know, we win the game and, you know, <clears throat> we, uh, we ended up 10 and one that year and, and, uh, incredible, but, uh, you know, you have opportunities like that, and obviously the teams that are predicted to win, they have responsibility, like the Big 12, the three last week, to make sure that they, you know, they get that done because they're probably certainly capable. But at the end of the day, you know, kids come in and have this opportunity to play, and they get to play. You know, they get to play Kansas or Kansas State, um, and and it's just it's just amazing. You know how how uh, how competitive they get, and well, once once a uh, underdog, the longer he's in a game, an underdog in the football world, the stronger they get. I I tell our players that all the time. You know, you keep men in the first quarter, they're in the second quarter, third quarter, they're still in the game. Watch out because they're going to be playing even better in the fourth quarter. So the whole key, if you're on the big side of it, you go knock them out and get them out quick. But if you let them in, hold on. Yeah, he starts believing in themselves. 70% of college football is playing now. Mountain West is in discussions to resume the season. The MAC, I believe, meets this weekend. Uh, I love MAC and football and love what it presents. And, Coach, uh, let's look at Missouri for a second here. You know, they don't play this, this weekend. But, you know, the SEC, you know, drew the cards. And, you know, Missouri gets Alabama in LSU as kind of those wild card teams. But, you know, this isn't starting off against a different kind of team. This is starting off against the University of Alabama and Nick Saban. I can't think of more of a challenge like that for Missouri, but I assume they'll be up. We've seen so many upsets in college football, but drawing Alabama to start, it's probably not what you'd like to do. Well, you're not. And at the end of the day, you know, we always, uh, when our players would come back in January and February, one of the first things we do, we'd have a team meeting. And I'd, show, I'd put our schedule up. The schedule would be all over the place. This is who we're playing. You know, one to twelve. These is where it's lining up, and this is when championship game is, and everything else. So we kind of see our goals as we go, and you know, we don't complain or moan or groan. Oh gosh, why do we have this? Why do we play them there? Why aren't we playing that kind of thing? And what you do is you focus on the game. And I think that's what you do. I personally am away from it now, so I my comments, uh, you know, of, of of getting Alabama LSU is is a bit disturbing to me. How that happened. But um, you know, at the end of the day, if if you're uh, if you're one of the coaches, one of the players from Missouri, you know, roll, you know, move them over, move them up, and that's what you got to do. Coach, I'll leave you with this. Uh, I saw on Twitter a few days ago, Missouri. I saw a little clip. You got to come back and speak to the team. 
Uh, was there any part of that that uh, brought back memories for you? Yeah, well, I, you know, I hadn't done that for a long time. You know, when Barry was there, you know, I was so close to it before, and I knew all the players. I just stayed away. I mean, you know, Barry and I have a very good relationship. Mm-hmm. But I just it's, I stayed away. They didn't need me walking around all the time. They don't, you know, they didn't need to see that. And so um, I had an opportunity. Um, uh, coach asked me to come over and uh, and uh, asked to talk to him about being a great teammates. And that's what we talked about for quite a while. I, I talked, it was just fun. I hadn't, done, I hadn't talked to a team for a long time, so I got – you know, as, as I typically do, get a little fired up. But uh, it was exciting to do that and, uh, you know, talk a lot about, you know, uh, the importance of if you want to be really, really good, you know, you've got to have a great team. And great teams, you know, you know there's a lot of ingredients for that, and we talked about it. So, anyway, good deal. And uh, uh, I got, I got, you know, I got little children there when I was uh, – <laughs> CoachGPMade.com is where they can go. GaryPinkle.com. There's a foundation there uh, that you can sponsor, make a difference. The book is on there as well, The 100-Yard Journey, if you'd like to order that. Not sure what else you're working on at the current time, Coach, but uh, any more books in the work? Uh, no, well, I, some people want me to write some, but I haven't done anything. Yet. But our big thing is GPMade Foundation has been really, really good for us. And GPMade, and just real quickly, is make a difference, made is make a difference every day, an acronym. Um, in the lives of children, and uh, you know we've done some really good things with grants and scholarships and a lot of things going on and uh, help kids. And I'm I'm really excited about it. We want to get bigger and better, and we want to help more more kids as we go. And that's so that's what we're doing a lot. So you'll hear more about that as this time goes on. And that's but that's been really good. All right, let me know, Coach, for sure. But uh, Coach Gary Pink, all-time winner at Toledo and Missouri, and up for the College Football Hall of Fame. Coach, always enjoy the conversations. Thank you very much. Okay, talk next week. Thank you. There you go, Coach Gary Pinkle there on Missouri. Coming up next, Kansas that lost to Coastal Carolina. You're listening to Rush the Field with Jay Binkley, 610 Sports Radio. And speaking of Cody and Gold, Alex Gold will be our next guest. Talking University of Kansas has a great podcast called Waving the Wheat, 610sports.com. And while you're there, Clyde Edwards Hilaire joined Cody and Gold today. They're on 10 to 2 daily here at 610 sports and you can go check that out on podcast as well alex gold i'm sitting here watching the browns Bengals because you selected the browns going with c dot on this one and we're 28 seconds uh left till halftime i like to start for cleveland i like to start Bengals okay. looking good i think a lot of people were down on cleveland in a big way let's not forget they played the baltimore ravens last week so yeah, we're rolling the dice. Raiders week one, Browns week two. We're trying to save uh, the powerhouse teams, I guess, uh, the rest of the way. We'll see if we can't make it through two weeks. Alex, let's talk about the team down the road in Lawrence, Kansas, under head coach Les Miles. You and I were up watching that game late at night, almost to pancake and bacon time as Coastal Carolina. <laughs> I mean, this game was supposed to be in Conway, South Carolina. They agreed to come play in Lawrence. The Jayhawks were wanting them. It's not a rivalry between Kansas and Coastal Carolina, but – Last year, Coastal Carolina, after the game, win 12-7, they're hitting the old Jayhawk pinata in the locker room. And that should have fired him up, but clearly it didn't as Coastal Carolina took advantage of the Jayhawks. And I really thought the Jayhawks, you know, get this W here before you jump right in the Big 12 season. Right, just the one non-conference game, and it's the challenges we know to find a win in the Big 12, and you figure this is a way to at least get some confidence, at least ensure that through the shortened season you're going to pick up one win and see if you can't make something happen in Big 12 play. They start the season off with a loss in back-to-back years to Coastal Carolina. I mean, it's 
it's one thing if you want to go ahead, Bink, and, and talk about Les Miles and what he's trying to do scholarship number-wise and try to build a program the right way, not do it through the JUCO program with the numbers being in balance, which is what he inherited, what David Beatty inherited. And so, you know, you take 25 freshmen in 2020. With all that said, that to me isn't an excuse for a loss to Coastal Carolina. That's an excuse perhaps if you want to talk about how competitive they are in the Big 12 and the work that they have to do there. But I, I don't care if you're down number-wise scholarship. You have no reason to go into a game where you look ill-prepared against Coastal Carolina, a team in the Sun Belt who's not predicted, by the way, to finish toward the top of the Sun Belt. They looked like they found out that they were going to play a football game just a few days before this thing and hadn't been practicing. They couldn't even have the jersey spelled right on their starting quarterback. Yeah, McVitie had the wrong name on it before. And I'll tell you this, I mean, it, it, that was wild. It, you know, McVitie was – but no, nobody knew. Les Miles wouldn't let, let us know who was going to be that team or who was going to be the quarterback. And we saw a mix of Kendrick – and by the way, East in the East Division in the Sun Belt, Coastal Carolina was picked to finish last. In the East, they have East and West. They were picked to finish last. A lot of people didn't know much about their uh, new quarterback. But here's the deal, Alex. I mean, Les Miles, year two, going with two quarterbacks, Kendrick and McVitie. And here's the one thing for Kansas: if there's a player that's a value that's getting ready to graduate, they can get an extra year of eligibility. That is the one thing that can help them going forward. Yeah, that's one thing if you're trying to, to find a positive uh, out of this and say it essentially is it a, a trial run uh, for a couple of these guys because of the change in eligibility rules and all that. I, that's certainly one way to, to look at it and one positive to look at it. I, I just am so frustrated, Bink, I think AU fans are, seeing this same deal go on for the last decade or so, whether it is Charlie Weiss, Turner Gill, David Beatty, Les Miles. And, and I won't go as far to say that, as some had about this hire and have the feeling of a, a Charlie Weiss-type hire already. I won't go that far where it was, oh, the big name, and he's going to turn around the program because for the reasons I mentioned, I think he's trying to do it the right way. Charlie Weiss just went all in on the Juco route, and it really set this program back even more. I don't think we're seeing that, so I, I don't agree with the comparisons there. But you know, this season for Kansas, it's you know the, the frustration at the quarterback spot. Carter Stanley last year, turned out to be better than I think people realize and clearly more talented than the quarterbacks that they have at this point in time. I hate the idea, and this happens across college, uh, with going with multiple quarterbacks. I just feel like there's no consistency that can be developed. I didn't like that heading into this game. I was hoping they were just going to stick with one guy. We know McVitie was in there, and then Miles Kendrick, as you brought up, got in in the second half as well. and Played played all right at times, still had the, the mistakes though that he made as well. But it's just this the same ongoing frustration that KU fans have had to deal with for the better part of, of 10 to 12 years. Puka Williams was the bright spot, although he got banged up, only had 12 rushes, but he did force eight missed tackles. By the way, that's tied for first in the nation, Pro Football Focus College. They do college and pro. Uh, he got banged up a little bit. So, of all things, this team really should go on this ground game. It should be ground and pound with this football team. Let's be honest. I mean, this team is about Puka and how he goes or how healthy he can be will be how Kansas goes. Yeah, I mean, the reliance that they're going to have to have on him is great, no doubt, with the way the quarterback situation is. And, you know, I think what happened, too, uh, last Saturday night is you find yourself in a 21 nothing hole, 28-3 at halftime. And as we know, that just entirely changes your, your game plan. I was really stunned with how, the, from the beginning, though, the game plan went as well. Brent Deerman, I'm, I think you're, you're probably pretty high on him as well. Mm -hmm. I am as well, the, the offensive coordinator who last year, that, that offense took a, a big step forward. They were, they were competitive in games. The offense clearly was better with him calling the plays, and I don't know, again, if that's more about 
uh, showing us the, the difference in quarterback with Carter Stanley uh, than they have right now. But the play calling, I was really uh, unimpressed with it overall. I thought that was one thing that would change in this matchup against Coastal Carolina in year two is, hey, you know, they don't have Brent Deerman a year ago when they faced Coastal Carolina. This go around, they're going to have better play calling. They're going to have better execution. They're not going to get out physical by a team coming in. You couldn't tell overall if you had never watched college football who was the, the power five school and who wasn't based off of, A, the quarterback play and also the physicality all the way around. Even with the, the success that, that Puka Williams had, and, and hopefully he's good to go going forward, it, it just was one of those performances where, you know, you can't, you just can't, even if you're a low-level power five school, let a school come in two years in a row to your building and, and, and overpower you, man. And, and it's so frustrating. The old line just struggled so much, gave up three sacks, and, yeah, they created a couple holes at times for Puka, but, man, it was just one of those games as well where you continue to, to wonder and, and, and say, well, is everything going to switch? Well, these games are are going to be games where you don't go in and feeling like that Kansas isn't as talented of a football team. Well, Alex, no show next week with the Royals, but we'll be able to break down Kansas and Baylor, the aftermath on the Thursday after that. Thanks a lot, Alex. You got it, man. There you go. Alex Gold on the Kansas Jayhawks. Check out his podcast, Waving the Wheat, all Kansas Jayhawks. Thank the Julio Sanchez for producing the operation. Big thanks to John Kurtz, came in in Manhattan, talking Kansas State. Of course, thanks to Alex Gold, Kansas, and Gary Pinkle for Missouri. Good night, everybody. You're listening to Rush the Field with Jay Binkley, 610 Sports Radio.